0: Hello and welcome to the Eastman's Predator Pros podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Nimnick. Great to kick off season two with you guys. Hard to believe that uh, we've made it this far, but uh, hey, couldn't have done it without you guys. Um, you know, your support, your listens, um, and all your feedback, you know, has really made this the, the number one predator hunting podcast out there. So really want to thank you guys. And, and really this one, uh, this podcast coming up today is, is all about you as the listener. Um, just recently, I made a post on my Instagram page. Um, and wanted to do some question and answer with with you guys. Um, I don't always get to cover every topic that everybody wants, but I thought, you know what, if we can do a little question and answer here, um, maybe pick seven or eight questions and, and kind of go through those in a little more detail than, than what I can give you, maybe answering them on a, an email or uh, you know reply on a, on a message on Instagram or social media, that, that it would be good. So we're going to do that. I'm going to run through um, and, uh, and answer some questions that, uh, some guys left on, on my Instagram page. Um, but once again, just want to thank you guys, um, for listening for all the great feedback. Um, you know, I appreciate you guys, you know, leaving five-star reviews, especially if you're listening on Spotify. Um, you know, if you get done listening to this and you love what you're listening to five, five-star review goes a long way, um, towards keeping this baby going. So, um, really appreciate that, but you know, can't do this without the sponsors, you know, in this particular episode, um, you know, is, is brought to you by Lucky Duck Predator Calls and Cryptek Camouflage. Um, you know, Lucky Duck's been a big supporter of what I do for a long time. You know, it's the e-call I use. i excited to to really get after using the new Super Revolt this past season. And I've been hunting now for the last three or four weeks. I've been piling up lots of coyotes, which, which is a, as expected, early season like this. But, um, you know, I've been using the Super Revolt, loving everything about it, you know, playing two sounds at once. I still have the ability to rotate the call and spin the call and throw sound in, in every direction that I want. It's got the built-in decoy, um, and it's got the new upgraded remote that you've you know have come to expect like on the Roughneck and in that. So, um, you know, if you haven't uh, haven't checked it out, um, give it a look. Um, you can go to the Lucky Duck website and find that. Um, another cool part about this call is it comes with the lithium battery pack and wall charger which is a 100 bucks if you're gonna go buy that anyway so a great value there and it comes with 200 sounds so um, really no need to go out and buy a bunch of extra sounds when it comes with them all there so um, if you're if you're in the market of a new e- call go check out luckyduckcom and check out the uh, the all-new SuperVolt. and then cryptic you know they're their sponsor they came on board a, a little bit later last season so I really didn't get a chance to to use any of their stuff because um, I just I just don't hunt coyotes in the summer but uh, have been out now um, wearing their stuff you know, I was a little skeptical on on the pattern. You know, I'm running a high the Highlander pattern, which to me is their best probably open country pattern, if you can say that. Um, originally, I thought it was going to be a little too dark, you know, for really what I like. But, man, now that I've, I've been out there um, and I've seen it, I've seen pictures, um, you know, like when we're filming and things, and I see what it looks like blended in. Man, I, I'm impressed. Um, you know, and then just the clothing alone you know i haven't got into real cold weather yet so i haven't used a lot of it other than just uh you know the hoodie and kind of they got a poofy jacket um that that i wear um but you know hey if you're in the market for for some new hunting clothing um and you want something that's that's going to work going to blend in and and the great thing about it there's lots of options you know the highlander pattern you know they have it probably in every piece of clothing they make it's one of their most popular patterns so if you're looking for a set of pants set of bibs multiple different style of coats, vests, um, you name it. You know, I, I actually even got to wear their, uh, their snow camo, um, the other day for the first time, which is, um, in wrath, the wrath pattern is their, uh, their snow pattern. And it's really cool setup. If you're looking for a set of snow over whites, these are the way to go. They come with the coat, the pants, the pants have full leg zipper on them and they're real thin. So, um, you can just put it over everything else, whether you're hunting real rural cold or maybe it's snow and it's still kind of warm. You can just put it over that. And then it comes with a set of gators as well. Um, to kind of help keep the snow from coming up a pant leg and things like that. So, um, like I said, love cryptech, lo- love everything they're about. You know, they're kind of veteran-based company. I'm a veteran, so uh, kind of a match made in heaven there. But, uh, you know, if you're looking for a new new line of camo pattern, uh, new piece of clothing there uh, for going out and shooting coyotes in, uh, you can visit cryptech.com. Well, before we get going, I uh, kind of wanted to give you an update on how my season's been going. Uh, I've been after coyotes now for basically the last three or four weeks of uh, had some phenomenal hunts, which is expected early season like this. Um, as you've heard me talk about, and as we're going to probably talk about in this podcast, just the life cycle of a coyote coyote densities and things like that, you know, this early season hunting, which I refer to it as, um, here in October, um, and even early November, you know, you're going to have the highest number of coyotes this time of year. So especially callable coyotes. So, um, it should be good, but, uh, you know, I've been, uh, been already been to a couple different states, um, and uh, like I said, just had some phenomenal hunts. I'm not going to tell you about all of them. I would like to tell you a few stories probably of the, the two most memorable stands so far this season, um, each of them a triple, and uh, each of them involved a solo triple. Now, the first one was a few weeks back. We were up in South Dakota. Um, I was doing a guided hunt for, for an outfitter I do some work with up there, and uh, a good friend of mine, a client, Kyle, and his 16-year-old son, titan were were on this particular hunt and it was just a phenomenal hunt i mean we ended up killing 35 coyotes in three days which by far is probably the best three-day day day hunt only that i've ever had Um, everything just kind of lined up right the coyotes were were responding great to the call Um, there were lots of coyotes Um, and the shooting was good you know which which are all the things you need to really put a big pile together but you know on the first day of this hunt um, it was about mid-afternoon. We were sitting at, I think, nine coyotes at the time. And, and obviously the holy grail for me is a is a 10 coyote day. So that's what we were shooting for. We were we were close. We knew it'd probably happen. But uh, we get into this particular stand, it's middle of the afternoon. You know, it was warm that day. It was up over 70 degrees. You know, we're hunting in short sleeve t-shirts. Um, and we get set up and and I was sitting with Titan, the 16-year-old son and uh, kyle was kind of covering the downwind and we had a, a, a slight breeze in our face kind of from right to left maybe at a 45 degree angle um and instantly um i started the call off i think i was playing maybe lucky pecker and just out in front of us maybe 250 yards there happened to be two coyotes that were just laid up in this little cut that just didn't know we were there you know we did everything right we got into our stand um without these coyotes knowing you know that we that we weren't there or they didn't know we were there i guess and um you know, I hit the call and it's almost instantaneously the first coyote pops up about 150 yards, maybe a little closer and to stand there looking at us. And I told Titan, hey, just don't move a second here. Let's see what's going on here. Let's see if we can get this coyote to close a little bit. Well, about the same time, I saw the second coyote pop up a little bit farther to the right, maybe about 150 yards. So I could tell that Titan was on that lead coyote stand there, chest on, and and I was ready with the remote. So I said, all right, Titan, we're just going to take our time. We're going to shoot this this first coyote and then be ready swing over and get on that second one. So, boom, he shoots. I switched the sound instantly to Sig Kicking Ass 3, which is kind of a pup distress. And I instantly noticed that second coyote. Well, first off, he drilled the first coyote square in the chest, just folded it just perfectly. And the old second coyote, it takes off kind of trotting to the right, kind of bouncing. And just from seeing a lot of coyotes, I just instantly knew that this coyote was going to stop. So I told him, all right, get on the coyote, get on the coyote. It's going to stop. It's going to stop. And it kind of come around this little right, there was this little knoll hill kind of off to the right, about 125 yards. And 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 it was, you know, obviously curious to this pup distress that was going now. Um, and then shooting suppressed on that first coyote, it really didn't know what, what happened. So the second coyote kind of trots around the hill, stops kind of quartering towards us. And Titan puts a bullet right square in the crease of the shoulder, just dumps that coyote straight in his track. So, you know, he had a double within about the first minute, which was pretty dang exciting. So I cranked that SIG kicking ass three up even louder and started calling. I'm like, Oh man, we have only been here a minute. You know, well, it's not another, you know, 45 seconds, maybe a minute into the stand and off to the right where he killed that first coyote, maybe a hundred yards deeper. I catch, catch, you know, movement of a coyote on a dead run coming to the call. So I told him, I said, get ready. This one's coming hard. And, uh, I kind of lower the volume of the call. A lot of times if the coyotes are coming really fast like that and we don't have a shotgun, um, I try to, you know, try to, turn the call down just so it's easier to get that coyote stopped um in this case trying to get tight in the shot you know i knew he wouldn't have a great shot if the coyote was moving you know towards the call so i was able to turn the call down the coyote came up on the little knoll just probably 10 yards left of where that second coyote was laying dead and it checks up just perfect about 100 yards chest on and he stones its perfect shot right in the chest and i looked down at the remote and it's two minutes and 40 seconds and, uh, you know, yeah, it was pretty damn exciting. He got his first, that was the first time he'd ever got a, a solo triple. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, something you don't see a lot of. Um, but we ended up going that day, we ended up killing two more cows and we ended up with a 14 coyote day. So pretty memorable hunt, uh, one that's going to be hard to beat this season for sure. And then probably the other, you know, most memorable stand I've had, uh, was just a couple days ago. Um, I finally had a chance to get my dad out for the first time. He'd, he'd been bugging me quite a bit. Um, you know, he loves to go obviously, and, um, he's got his best friend, Dallin, um, that we go with quite a bit. And, uh, you know, over the years, Dallin has been a big waterfowl hunter. And, and, uh, once he started going with us, he kind of, I think he kind of has the coyote itch and, uh, he gets pretty pumped up about it, uh, you know, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, this is words out of his mouth that he's a terrible rifle shot. (laughs) So he always loves to sit there with a shotgun, which is pretty cool because a lot of times we do get coyotes that, that do come running in hard. And, and for me, it's, it's always, a adds a little bit more of a challenge to try to get him, um, a shotgun coyote or two in a day of hunting, you know, just with the way we set up the way we got to find him, you know, a little more cover to sit in and things like that. So, um, I, I really like the challenge there, but anyway, we went out the other day and, and it started off pretty slow. Um, we killed two coyotes kind of early in the day. Um, and then we had a big lull in the middle part of the day, just, I just think the places we were at, just the coyotes weren't in there. So we made a move uh, later in the afternoon and we got to a spot where we had a little bit of a prairie dog town out in front of us, um, kind of some rolling pasture country way out in front of us. And then off to our left and right was kind of some CRP grass, CRP fields, you know, taller, you know, two, two and a half foot tall grass. Well, I knew when we sat down, Dallin kind of looked at me like, oh, this ain't going to be a shotgun stand at all. Because all we did is just set our backs next to some fence posts. Um, And then right behind us on the other side of the fence, obviously, was the taller grass. So I knew we'd be kind of our outline would be broke up a little bit. And, um, you know, plus there was a, a big old tree that was kind of casting a shadow down onto the fence. So we were sitting in that shadow as well. Just one more thing that we can do to help break up our outline. So these coyotes don't see us when they when they get in close. Well, anyway, I walked the call out about 25 yards in front of us. Um, and the wind was kind of kind of right in our face, maybe a little bit right to left, kind of blowing back off my left shoulder. And uh, start the call up, started with some lucky pecker. And it's just about, I don't know, two minutes in, we catch a coyote coming off from the right. And he's kind of coming down the fence line where this where this barren pasture with his prairie dog town borders up into the CRP field. Well, I, I think the coyote came out of the CRP field, and then he was just using the fence line to trot down to us. Well, he's on a kind of a slow trot. And I just kind of whisper over to Dallin. I said, hey, don't move. I said, let's just sit here tight. I think we can get this coyote right in on us. And sure enough, we just sat there and the coyote just kept slowly working his way down to the call. He, when he got to about 100 yards, he he almost looked like he lost interest. And I could tell it was a a, a younger coyote, a pup coyote. Um, so on my presets, on preset number two, I have lip squeak. So I just reached down real quick, you know, and, and that's the great thing about presets is you know, I don't have to really look at the remote. I can just kind of reach down and, and feel which one is preset number two and and push it. Well, lip squeaks comes on, and he really liked that. So then here he here he kind of picks up the pace a little bit and closes that last hundred yards pretty quick. And and he got to about thirty yards. He kind of, he was kind of coming chest on, and he kind of looked up and he could, you could tell he saw us, but he didn't really know what we were. Dallin did great. He kind of you know at the last second you know with a shotgun, it's almost like you jump shoot him you know, I kind of refer to it as that where, you know, if you slowly start bringing the shotgun up as they're, as they're getting close, a lot of times those coyotes will see that little bit of movement and run off, but you kind of just wait till the last second. And then all at once, you just kind of fling up the shotgun and boom and, and roll them. So that's exactly what did. The coyote got to about maybe 30 yards and he pulled up and, and shot this coyote kind of right in the face, chest on, just rolled him right up dead or in hell, you know, one shot. And I thought, oh, that was pretty, that was pretty awesome. And, uh, So I switched to um, a pup distress. I think it was probably Sig kicking ass three, if I remember right. Um, And, you know, I'm looking around thinking, okay, that's pretty early in the stand. You know, maybe maybe we'll get into a whole little family group of coyotes or something right here. Well, not a minute goes by. and And like I told you, we're sitting up against this barbed wire fence. Well, all of a sudden we feel the barbed wire behind us kind of vibrate. And I look to the left and there's a coyote that had just come from the CRP field and went under the fence. And that's what we felt the coyote actually hit the bottom strand of wire and it vibrated all the way down to us. Well, the coyote probably comes out of the fence line, maybe 30 yards to our left, but I had the call obviously out in front of us and he's angling right to the call. And he kind of, he kind of looked over at us. He was kind of hackled up a little bit. Like, you know, he was ready to, to whoop somebody. And he kind of looked at us, but then he just kept going right to the call and, and Dallin once again, pulled up boom, one shot, rolled him out there about 25 yards. And I thought, holy cow, that's that's pretty cool. You know, now we got a, a shotgun double. And uh, at that point after the shot, you know, a lot of times I'll usually roll into a, another pup distress of some kind. And I think I went to maybe bully beat down and, um, you know, maybe another minute, 90 seconds go by. And off to my left again, I hear kind of the a crunching, you know, some grass or uh, some sort of noise like that. And I look to my left. Well, there's a coyote running through the CRP grass coming, you know, about the same angle that the second coyote showed up at. But when he gets to the fence, he turns and starts coming right down the fence right to us. So <laughs> we're kind of all just sitting tight, like looking at this coyote and he gets gets probably 10 yards from us. And he's, he's on the other side of the fence, so it's kind of hard to shoot. And I'm, I shoot left-handed anyway, so it was almost impossible for me to swing to my left to, to try to get this coyote. And Dallin's to my right, so you know I'm kind of between him and the coyote, so he really didn't have a shot. And uh, the coyote gets to about, I don't know, six, eight yards right down the fence, and then finally sees us and kind of just starts off, kind of juts back out into the CRP, not really running hard. So I go to stand up thinking, okay, I'm just going to have to try to shoot this coyote offhand. Well, Dallin stood up as well. And luckily the coyote angled more off to the left and uh, he was able to roll it with the shotgun, you know, at about 20, 25 yards out in that CRP grass um, for a shotgun triple, you know, so pretty exciting. He was pretty pumped. Uh, You know, I think the thing he told me is never in a million years, he thought that would be a a shotgun stand for just how open it was and, and not a lot of cover to sit by, but you know, we made it work and, uh, but pretty memorable, memorable deal, you know, so great way to start. Um, Hopefully they will be, Tons more stories like that of, of awesome stands that we make over the next three or four months. But nonetheless, a few stories to kind of get you pumped up, hopefully, and uh, get you excited about uh, getting out and killing some coyotes. So for this episode, uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, um, I made a post on my Instagram page, um, which is just at Jeff, G-E-O-F-F, Nimnic. Um, If you're not following along, you know, you want some great content there. I usually post lots of stories and things like that, but I'll do things like this as well. Where um, I'll do some question and answer that uh, you know that I can do on a, on future podcasts as well. But anyway, I made this post and said, "Hey, you know, to kick off season two, I'd really like to do some question and answer, um, and uh, and make a podcast out of that." So had great response. I had probably thirty or forty questions um, on that post. So I kind of went through and picked out the best seven, seven or eight here, um, and I'm going to go through and and we're just going to talk about these and and hopefully maybe. You know, there are questions maybe that you had, you know, I kind of went through and and tried to pick, you know, some that were, you know, not not all of them are tactics. Some of them are kind of based on some other things, um, as you'll find out. But uh, but hopefully, you know, it'll all be some great info. So let's let's get going. Let's kick into these questions and uh, see what kind of discussion we can have here. So the first the first question I got here is uh, from Josh Strathman. Um and his question is this any tips for approaching new locations do you how those spots at night before a big hunt advice if you can't get a location response easily in that location i think scouting and locating coyotes is a big hurdle for me and my friends well josh i think that's probably a, an issue for a lot of people i think scouting and locating and finding ground and things like that are all all, all a huge piece of the this equation you know i've talked about it before like when you're calling coyotes, there's all these variables that are involved and, you know, locating coyotes, knowing if there's coyotes in the area to call is is one of those variables that you're trying to figure out. And, you know, so let's take a look at the howling aspect of this. You know, I have done quite a bit of that, you know, for me, you know, we're trying to find locations that hold lots of coyotes. And, you know, obviously the more coyotes in that area, the better chance that when we set up, our sound is going to land on a set of coyote ears. I mean, that's the ultimate goal, right? But how do you know, you know, if there's coyotes in there or how many coyotes are in there? So for me, howling has always been one of the better ways to figure out, you know, how many coyotes are in the area. Um, You know, on earlier podcasts, like with Dustin Patterson, when we talk about Arizona hunting and and winning the worlds down there on, on public land and what we did prior to, you know, that hunt, you know, we did a lot of howling at night. It's not something that I really do out here in all the ground that I normally on a on a normal basis um hunt. I I don't do a lot of howling there in the middle of the night. But if I'm at a new location and I'm trying to figure out what the coyote densities are, howling in my opinion is probably the best way to do it. And essentially all I'm doing is going out. You can drive the roads, you can get into areas where um you know you're gonna hunt, where you have access to hunt, and or maybe you don't have access to hunt there yet. But you're trying to figure out, you know, maybe where I should start my search, maybe where I want to spend my time knocking on doors, getting permission and things like that. And so you can just drive these these county public roads and, and pull off the road in the night at night, get out, kill the truck. And I usually just let out some howls on the call, you know, whether it's just some single loan house. Sometimes I'll do a serenade, you know, and you'll find some nights coyotes just howl better than other nights. Um I've had better luck it seems like when the moon is out the coyotes will howl better you know a, a completely dark moon for me I guess it seems like the coyotes don't howl but now now once I'm getting coyotes to howl you know I can I can use my app like Onyx Hunt app and I can start dropping pins on you know roughly where I think these coyotes are howling from now is that exactly where these coyotes are going to be when I come back in the future to to call them in the daytime yeah maybe not but It's going to at least give you a generalized location of where these coyotes are. Now, after I do that, now you could spend all night doing this and cover miles and miles and miles. You may just run out for a couple hours and and stop and make, you know, 10 or 12 different howls and try to find maybe specific spots that you're looking at. So it's really up to you. You know, another idea is you can actually do this before you hunt, you know, get up a couple hours early and maybe you have some options to hunt, but you don't know where you want to start your hunt off that morning. You could run through a couple hours before the sun comes up and do some howls like that and then really get a good idea of maybe where your first two or three stands of the day should be based off of where the howling that you heard, you know, several hours prior because you can probably assume that, you know, if you heard coyotes howling in there an hour or an hour and a half earlier than that, that they're not going to be far. They're probably going to be in that same same section um, as when you heard them howl. So you know, that's, that's what I'll do in regards to howling. Like I said, I don't do that all the time, but for me, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, if you can get them to howl, you at least know they're there. Um, and it gives you a decent idea of how many coyotes in there. Now me personally, my personal opinion is that you're never going to get every coyote to howl. So I usually base it off of, you know, and it's, it's probably a generic answer, but I usually think if I heard five coyotes howl in this area, there's probably 10 coyotes in there, you know, and that you know, just because you're not gonna hear them all howl. So um that's just kind of something I use to, you know, base that off of how many coyotes that, that potentially could be in that area. Now, the other part of this question is, you know, if you can't get a location response easily in that location, what do I do? Well, like I said, sometimes coyotes just don't howl. Um, it could be that just the type of night, you know, coyotes may be close. Like, um sometimes I'll use my thermal if I'm out howling just to scan a little bit too. And I've seen coyotes close enough to the road where I've stopped to howl you know two three four hundred yards, and those coyotes don't howl back a lot of times they actually start coming towards the howls um sometimes so I think some of the closer coyotes won't howl some of the farther coyotes will so um just because you don't get a response doesn't mean there's any coyotes in there um it's just uh you know might might mean that hey they're just not talking right now or whatever it may be um but but overall, you know scouting and locating coyotes is a big hurdle um I usually tell people, you know, and there's another question coming up uh, a little bit about land access and things like that. So don't want to get too far ahead of myself with this question. I want to kind of keep it more towards the the scouting part of howling and locating coyotes. But, um, you know, it is a huge hurdle and it's one I think that that guys struggle with. I think many guys that are fairly new to coyote hunting underestimate the amount of land that you really need. And and, you know, a lot of times for me, scouting is basically going out and hunting it for the first time. You know, As I'm hunting it for the first time, I'm scouting it. Now, if, you know, there's a difference. A lot of people don't understand. If I'm hunting it for a contest um, and it's new country, obviously, I'm not going to go out and hunt it ahead of time. I'm scouting it, trying to put together a plan, and then I'm going to hunt it the days of the contest. But if it's just a, a normal place, which I assume I'm talking to probably the majority of you guys listening to this, when you're talking about scouting a new place, you're not saving it for a contest. You're just looking to go out and hunt it. That's what I do. I just go hunt it. And the first time I hunt it, it's not always going to be the best way. Um, but I'm learning the access points in there. I'm learning how the, the land lays I'm learning, you know, where, you know, what part of this, this farm or ranch is accessible. What's not, what part looks, looks better. You know, where's the cover at, where do I think these coyotes are going to be laid up at during the, the middle part of the day, where, where are some of these transition areas, um, where these coyotes are going to be on the move early and late in the day. I'll kind of look at all that. And then, you know, I'm always looking for, for places to, to where I can hide my truck, you know, where I can set up at, do I have a little bit of visibility, you know, and then really, that's really the first time hunting is I'm hunting and scouting at the same time. Um, if that makes sense, I very rarely ever go out during the day to scout a place to come back and hunt it another day, just for fun. If I'm going to scout it, I'm hunting it. And, uh, and then the next time I come back, you know, a couple months later, whatever it may be, uh, you know, now I just have that much better of a plan, you know, and every time I hunt a place, my plan and my approach to that property gets better and better and better. Um, and that's ultimately what, what you got to look at. So hopefully Josh, that gives you a little bit better idea um, when it comes to approaching new locations and howling, and we'll get in a little bit more of that on, on a question coming up when it comes to, to land access and things like that. So the second question comes from, uh, at Hawk Yote Hunter. And his question is this. I take my son along trying to get his first coyote. What advice can you give me about setting up that would provide him a better opportunity at getting a shot? So far it's been a Murphy's Law situation whenever we get a coyote to come in. Well, if you guys have listened to my podcast before, you know, getting kids out, you know, involving kids in hunting is, is a huge deal to me. Um, you know, I have three boys of my own. Um, and, and I've tried to make them a part of this from, from very early on, you know, on the same token, you know, I do a lot of hunting with whether it's my coyote schools or guided hunts or just taking, uh, you know, friends of mine hunting, you know, getting guys that have never really hunted coyotes on coyotes. And, you know, it's all really the same, whether you're trying to get a kid, a coyote, or maybe somebody that hasn't hunted a lot of coyotes, a, a good shot at a coyote, but the, the skill sets are relatively the similar as far as. You know, their ability to move and get on coyotes, how fast they can get on target, you know, how good they can shoot off, you know, their swaggers or whatever they're shooting off of. Um, It's really the same. So there's some things we'll talk about here as far as setups go and things to, because ultimately what you're trying to do when you have kids or new people that are out hunting, that don't have a lot of experience with this. You got to get coyotes to stand there. Um, You know, they're not going to shoot coyotes running, you know, up to the call on dead run at 50 yards. It's just not going to happen. Um, so you ultimately have to have to do some things to try to get the coyotes to check up and stop for, you know, three, four, five seconds, which if you've coyote hunted long enough, you know, that's, that's really what separates coyote hunting from probably any other hunting is that the damn things aren't going to stand there for two minutes looking at, you you know, and letting you do everything and get perfect. You know, it's, things happen fast. You got to be able to get on target fast. Um, and that's to me, what makes it exciting. But, you know, specifically when it comes to kids, I think the gun setup, is really important. Um, you know, early on, I had a custom 223 bolt gun made up for my boys. You know, I had it cut down to 16 inches. I had a thread and suppress now suppressed for me. If you have young kids, I'm talking five, six, seven, eight, nine year old kids. If, if you have a suppressor, that's the way to go because a, it's going to get rid of all the recoil. So you don't have to worry about the kids flinching because that's a big part of it. When kids are shooting rifles, you know, especially centerfire rifles, because that's what you want ultimately. You know, the, all the shots aren't going to be perfect. So you want a gun big enough in case they do miss hit that coyote a little far back or something like that, that it's going to kill the coyote. So, you know, shooting a 223, 243, 2250, or whatever, that's that's what you want these kids being able to shoot so they can effectively kill these coyotes. So having that suppressed is, is huge, huge part of it. Probably the most important piece of that gun setup. Um, the second is the optic on there. Now, early on when my kids started shooting at four or five years old, they had a hard time, you know, getting eye relief in a normal traditional scope. So I went with the the red dot route and really that, that gave them the ability to say, I could just tell them, you know, I could say, Hey, you don't have to worry about trying to get the eye relief, right. I just say, Hey, see that red dot. All we need to do is take that red dot and put it right on the shoulder of a coyote. And I would buy these life-size targets that had a real picture of the coyote. And we'd go out to the range and we'd shoot at those from 50 to a hundred yards. And you know once i felt like hey they could consistently put you know bullets on these coyotes at those ranges then i thought we were ready to go so number 1 your gun setups really important you know and and, and that's just going to be something you have to try with your kid or you know even you as a new hunter or if new hunters you're taking you know they're going to probably struggle trying to get eye relief and things like that so you know if they are shooting a traditional scope obviously have it have them turn it down to the lowest power it goes obviously then you have a little more flexibility in your eye relief if it's turned all the way down low and, and they can hopefully find coyotes and get coyotes in the scope quicker. Now, you know, the, the, you know, the setup as far as the the shooting support, whether you want to run a swagger, whether you want to lock those kids into a tripod, maybe a, almost like a tripod that you'd use at night with a Swiss arch mount or a hog saddle or something like that, you know, obviously that's as steady as you can possibly get, but you lose a little bit of mobility. You know, if the coyote comes in from left to right, it's going to be hard to get them moved on it. Um, whereas if you were shooting like a swagger or something like that, you could get a moved a little bit quicker, but you know, that's really the, the three pieces to the gun setup. And then once you get out there, you know, once you get the gun set up, right, practices is, is by far the next most important thing. And I, you know, the thing I always talk to people about is, you know, I'm not practicing with those youth hunters shooting bullseyes off the bench. You know, I'm going to shoot the gun for them. I'm going to get it dialed in. But then at that point we're shooting in the same position that we're going to be in you know, sitting down off of the same support that we're going to be using when we're hunting and we're shooting, you know, coyote sized targets. Um, you know, re- roughly you're looking at an eight inch kill zone on a coyote. And, um, you know, so if you want to use balloons, I do that quite a bit. You can take an old uh, old practice wooden arrows, you know, you can buy them at Walmart for a couple bucks. I'll go buy a handful of those and, and blow balloons up to about the eight inch size and kind of stick them on the, stick the arrow in the ground and then put the balloon knot through the knock of the arrow and set those out there and they could practice shooting those and it's all reactive. So they know when they hit it, you know, and you can practice moving, you know, moving on target is probably the biggest thing that uh, that will benefit you when you get out there hunting coyotes, especially these younger kids, because the quicker they can get on target, the more time they're going to have to relax just those few seconds that the coyote's going to stand there for those few extra seconds. And that's, and that's going to be, you know, super important there. Now a few things, you know, I can, I try to do when I have, when I'm on setup, um, as far as getting coyotes to stop for a shot. Now, I usually, if, if I have a kid or somebody new that I feel like it's, they're going to have a little tougher time getting on, on these coyotes. Um, a few things I'll do. First thing I'll do is I'll usually get the call a little bit further out than I normally do. You know, instead of keeping the, the, the call in at 20, 30, 40 yards, you know, and every setup is going to be different. Obviously, you know, you might not have quite as much open ground or or whatnot, but I may walk the call out in that 50, 60, 70 yard range. Um, And I think now everything's out just a little bit further. The coyotes aren't getting in on us so fast. And when I do get that coyote to check up, hopefully he's out there just a little bit further. So that's the main, that's the first thing I'll do is I'll just purposely try to get the e-call farther away um, on our setups. Now, the second part is, you know, how can I get these coyotes to stop? Um, some coyotes just don't stop. Some coyotes, you've triggered something in them where they are on a dead run and they're coming in. It seems like a lot of times, if you're playing the pup distresses and the coyote fights and some of those coyote based sounds, that's when you really trigger, you know, those aggressive responses in these coyotes and get them sprinting in. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with your visibility. If you're able to see that coyote from far out, maybe if you can see that coyote from a couple hundred yards coming to the call, I will. I will usually try to kill the call. Now that's not my go-to. I don't normally kill the call when I got coyotes coming to the call because I like to leave the call running. Most of the time, if it's me hunting, I don't mind. I'll shoot them, run right up to the call. It doesn't matter. A lot of times we have a shotgunner and that's what we want. We want them coming running right up to the call. But when I specifically want coyotes to stop when they maybe get to that hundred, 150 yard range, I'll start shutting that call down. I may just kill it all together and then what you get a lot of times, even on a coyote on a dead run, if all of a sudden that that call shuts completely off, a lot of times that coyote will check up a little bit. He'll start slowing up, wondering, well, what the hell happened? I think it's almost like they wonder, whoa, whoa, where'd, where'd this go? You know, what happened? Why, why is there no sound anymore? And then now, when that coyote gets to a certain point, I can probably have a better chance of getting that coyote to stop with with me doing something as far as like a bark, a whistle, a lip squeak, as opposed to if the calls out there still blaring away and I do a bark or a whistle or something, the coyotes, A, is probably not going to hear me do that. And if he does hear us, he's probably going to look right over at us and he might see it. And then that coyote may spook and run off. But if the calls killed completely, I think your chances are just a lot better of getting that coyote to stop and, and get that kid or that new hunter a shot. So um, like I said, getting that e-call out there, um, at a little bit farther distance and then, um, you know, try to get that call. Once you spot that coyote coming, and it gets under a couple hundred yards, maybe just try to kill the call completely. And, uh, and then maybe you can get that coyote to check up and stop for, you know, a few seconds longer to, to give that uh, kid a shot. But, you know, I did an entire podcast on kids and hunting with my son, Creighton, I don't know, maybe episode 18, 19, 20, somewhere in there. Um, if you haven't listened to that, you know, that might, you know, we talked a lot about, uh, you know, some stuff like that, uh, you know, basically just maybe in a little more detail than I went through there. But uh, hopefully that helps, man. Hawk Yode Hunter, I hope uh, I hope your son gets one, man. That's what it's all about. Um, send me a picture on Instagram when he does because uh, that's pretty pretty dang exciting. On to the next question. Um, this one comes from uh, Ron Gessenborough, and his question is this. How many coyotes do you think you miss seeing by doing short sets that are coming, but hold up or in the bottoms of creeks that you don't see and would have seen if you'd given it an extra five minutes or so. This is a, this was a very intriguing question to me because I think there's lots of pieces to a, a question like this. You know, obviously I think it does happen. Um, time on stand is something that I get asked a lot of. And it's, it's extremely hard to give somebody an answer, a cookie cutter answer. I mean, that's what seems like most people want is just how many minutes should I hear? Eight, 10, 12, 15, 20. What is it? Well, I think there's a lot of variables that, that come into play when you look at how long you should sit on stand, you know, the way I call, the way I run the e-call may be different than the way you run the e-call. So, Now, for example, I run the sound continuous. I don't ever shut the sound off. When I do switch sounds, I roll from one sound right into the other. I think the amount of volume you put out on stand and when you put out that volume, you know, if you're putting out volume early on in the stand, well, now that your, your sound radius has covered pretty much the max distance that coyotes are going to come to the call. So you should see a response sooner. Okay. Now, if you're the type of hunter that maybe waits clear to the end of the stand to finally put volume out there, well, now you need to technically would need to wait even that much longer because you know, those, it's going to take those coyotes time to get there. So, you know, to answer your question on this, Ron, you know, my thing is this, I don't think I miss very many coyotes at all, just because of the way that I run through the sound sequences Um, the way that I put the sound out there with the amount of volume early on in the stand, um, granted, are there some coyotes coming to the call? Yes. Um, but, but here's my theory. You know, I base a lot of probably most of the coyote, the decisions I make when I'm out coyote hunting are based off of probabilities and percentages. What, what's the percentage, you know, the probability that a coyote's going to come in fairly early on in the stand. It's pretty high higher there than, then they're going to show up way late in the stand. So I, I look at it this way. Let's just look at, let's just look at a simple math equation here. If I'm going to try to make 12 stands in a day, and I'm going to sit there for 12 minutes on each stand. Okay. It is what it is, but let's say I sit there and I make, make those, you know, 15, let's just say 20 minute stands. Okay. Now that's basically eight minutes more stand. So if you take those 12 stands, you know, times eight, what are we sitting there? 96 minutes. That's an hour and almost 40 minutes longer. It took me to make those same amount of stands. So in reality, I did. I'm not going to be able to get in 12 stands in a day. I'm only going to be able to get in probably eight or nine. Well, what's your chances? I mean, if you're calling, if you want to try to get six, eight coyotes in a day, only making eight stands. That seems a lot tougher than trying to get six or eight coyotes in a day, making 12 stands and covering 12 different areas and things like that. So, so that's why I will, I will run a little bit quicker stands, um, and, and try to get more places called by the end of the day, because a few minutes here and there all day long add up to, you know, maybe not getting in those last couple stands at the end of the day that you could have gotten in. Now let's back up a little bit. I think sound sequences is, is important. So you know, if I'm making a 12-minute stand and I'm letting that call run continuous for that 12 minutes, that's different than somebody making a 12-minute stand that lets the call go for a minute and then sits quiet for two or three minutes and lets the call run for a minute and lets the call sit quiet for two or three minutes. To me, that person only made a four-minute stand, in my opinion, the way that I call. So yes, if, you're, if that's your style of calling where you call a little bit and sit quiet, yes, you want to sit there probably longer than what i do for 10 12 14 minute stands. um and that's where it comes back into everybody's styles just a little bit different so that cookie cutter answer doesn't fit everybody's you know way that they hunt. so so by running the call continuous i feel like i'm getting the sound out there instantaneously right when i start to stand um and then switching up sounds at the right time. you know i've talked about this before you know there's a simple math equation of You know, a coyote trotting 10 miles an hour can cover one mile in six minutes, okay? 10 mile an hour trot coming to the call is probably below average speed that coyotes come to the call, but it's just for math purposes, it's a good number. I can tell you that most coyotes don't come from a mile. Most coyotes are coming from a half mile and less. So at that same equation, at 10 mile an hour trot, a coyote can cover a half mile in three minutes. So if you played the right sound, whatever sound you played, if that coyote likes it, and is coming to the call within three minutes, you should shoot the coyote, see the coyote or whatever. So in my opinion, if you're playing a particular sound longer than three or four, definitely five minutes to me, that's wasting time on stand. That was, that's a minute or two extra that you, that you just wasted. Okay. So once again, if I'm going to do a 12 minute stand, but I let the rabbit play for nine minutes and then I switch to pup distress for the last three minutes and leave, well, that's different than me running a 12 minute stand and playing the rabbit for three or four minutes, then a pup distress for three or four minutes, then a, a, a second pup distress for three or four minutes and leaving. And I hope you see the difference in that where, you know, I'm, I'm throwing out, you know, more sounds a little more frequently, uh, hoping to get a, a response because not every coyote's going to come running into that rabbit you play first. It may take that pup distress or who knows a coyote fight, maybe it's some coyote vocals, who knows whatever you're going to throw out there in in whatever series of sounds you want to play, but it may, it may, you know, take an extra sound. So to me, one of the worst things you can do is play rabbit for eight, 10 minutes. And, or let's just say you play a rabbit for six, eight minutes, and then you play another rabbit for another six or eight minutes. And the last two minutes of the stand, you throw on a coyote fight and you jump up and leave. Well, yeah, for sure. At that point, I would highly believe that you are, you're getting up and leaving coyotes that are still coming to the call. But if I go through and I run rabbit for three or four minutes, then I run, you know, maybe a less aggressive pup distress, maybe like a pup chaos, maybe even a schoolyard brawl. Sound like that on, on, on one of the lucky duck calls, play it for three or four minutes. And then that last three or four minutes, I go with something a little more aggressive, maybe like coyote coon fight kryptonite bully beat down, you know, something of that nature. Now, when I get done at, at the 12-minute mark, I, I always feel like, okay, you know what? I've, I've covered the, the spectrum out there. Like, if there was a coyote there, I've, I've pretty much thrown out, you know, three different lures, essentially. And if they didn't like it at that point, that coyote's probably not coming. And the longer I sit here at this point, hoping that a coyote shows up, to me, that's just wasted time. Um, now, there could be one coming, but my point is this. The chances of one showing up is very, very slim, in my opinion, late, late in the stand like that. If you run the call with the volume, with the sound sequence, um, with the time per each sound that I talk about, once you get to that 12, 14, 15 minute mark, I think your chances of you calling a coyote is very, very slim. So I can sit there, but we go back to probability and percentage. What's What's the probability of a coyote showing up way late like that after I've ran through that series? Very, very slim, in my opinion but what's the chances of us getting up at 12 minutes and getting to a new stand and calling in a new coyote in the first six or eight minutes. <laughs> Pretty good. So I base it off of that. So Ron, hope that helps uh, answer that. Um, you know, I think, I think, uh, and ultimately too, it's you uh, as a hunter, you know, and, and it had, a lot of it has to come, you know, we have already talked about land, you know, approaching new stands. We're going to talk about land access coming up, you know, and that's assuming you have enough places to continue hunting the whole day. You know, if you only have four places to go call, you know, and you got all day to go do it, does it do you really any good to run through those places in 12 minutes? Yeah, maybe not. If it was me, I'd run through those places in 12 minutes, spend the rest of the day knocking on doors, trying to line up more property, but maybe you don't want to do that. Um, So yeah, if you sit there 25, 30 minutes, so be it. And then, you know, the last thing I want to touch on too is this is still kind of a generic answer, even as detailed as that is, You may find that in your neck of the woods, wherever you're at in the country, you know, just the type of terrain you hunt, the access you have, that it may be a little bit different than that. You may have to experiment a little bit. Maybe your sweet spot isn't 12 minutes. Maybe your sweet spot is even running through a series of sounds like I have kind of, you know, told you how I do it. You may find it's, it might be more towards the 15, 16, 18, 20 minute mark. It's not to say that that is impossible, um, so it may, it may take a little tweaking on your part to, to find exactly, you know, where that sweet spot is for, for the area that you hunt. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but I want to take a second to talk to you about Hornady ammunition. 10 bullets through one hole is the philosophy that brought Hornady from a two man operation in 1949 to a world leading innovator of bullet ammunition, reloading tool and accessory design and manufacture today. So whether I'm blasting coyotes with my AR-15 and those 53-grain VMAX superformance rounds or shotgunning coyotes with the 3-inch nickel-plated BB, you won't find anything that's more accurate, deadly, or dependable to use on coyotes. So if you're in the market to test out some new rounds through your rifle or shotgun, visit Hornady.com to find the nearest dealer today. Now, back to the podcast. So on to the next question. This This one's one that's a topic of discussion quite a bit in my truck. Uh, throughout the winter with different guys as, as we're hunting especially with rick when we're filming and stuff like this we talk about this a lot but um snapbacks and sagebrush sent this question it's and it's this overall coyote numbers seem to be down in the west the past few years exactly how much would you guess thermal hunting has impacted the average day hunter now you know this is kind of a you know tip of the spear kind of kind of question it goes back to the you know night hunting versus day hunting um, you know, first off, I want to say I have nothing against thermal. I thermal hunt myself. I see there's some crazy good advantages to thermal hunting, um, and things like that. But what I really think people don't understand is the dynamic of, of hunting coyotes year round. I don't have anything against that at all. Um, me personally, it's not what I do. And a lot of that has to do with just my lifestyle, the The way I, um, you know, I'm busy with my lawn care stuff in the summer. I have baseball in the summer. Um, I'm not a big fan of the bugs and the snakes and, you know, the heat being out there. So I've just never hunted coyotes in the summer. Another thing for me is when I hunt coyotes a lot for five months, to be honest with you, I'm actually ready to, to move on and do something different for a while, you know? And then by the time coyote season rolls around, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder kind of a deal that man, I'm pumped up and ready to go for the season. Um, but for me, but what happens a lot, I think in the summer is I think a lot of guys end up thermal hunting in the summer because you go out at night, the temperatures cool down, the coyotes are obviously moving more. You can have more luck, more success. Um, and you're not dealing with, uh, you know, a lot of the summer heat and things like that. So, but I think, I think this, to answer your question, snapbacks and sagebrush, I think there is some sort of impact what that is. I don't know. Um, I think you have to look at the coyote life cycle and uh, really understand that we're only getting one crop of coyotes a year. Okay. Unfortunately coyotes aren't like hogs and rabbits and everything like that with multiple litters a year, you know, we're getting one litter of coyotes a year, you know, April may part when these coyotes are born. So, you know, the sooner you start killing off coyotes, you know, throughout the summer months, early fall months, you know, we're not getting any new coyotes until April again, you know, now, that being said, obviously, there's there's transient coyotes. There's coyote movements throughout the year, you know, coyote dispersions, things like that. But, you know, if you come into an area and shoot out a bunch of coyotes, there's the only way that new coyotes are going to move into those areas is if the carrying capacity on the outskirts of that area are above capacity, meaning you have there's there's quite a few transient coyotes you know, there's more, maybe more coyotes in the outskirts, you know, surrounding that area that can move in and fill in that spot. Now, if there's not that many coyotes, then obviously you're just going to have less amount of coyotes. Um, you know, I think hunting coyotes in the summer, you know, really started with government trappers, you know, back, you know, back in the forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, whatever, before thermal was big, before guys were probably hunting them, you know, in the summer, as much as they do now, government trappers did it because it was a super effective way to to thin out coyotes you know if you can go in there in the summer months and and kill a a breeding pair that have a den site you know you you did a significant you know amount of damage to the overall coyote population in that area and that was their whole goal of, of a government trapper is they wanted zero coyotes left in the area um you know obviously it's very hard to achieve that but you know, in certain areas, they could pull that off. They could, they could thin the coyotes out in a certain area where you might not even see a coyote in that area for months, um, until just some random coyote might move in. And I think the same holds true. If you're out there thermal hunting coyotes or just hunting coyotes during the day, even in the summer, you know, you're, you're essentially getting to that same level where, you know, you're getting coyotes killed off. Um, and you know, just when it comes time to the fall and winter hunting, you just have less coyotes to call in. Um, it's just one of those deals, and you know maybe someday there'll be some sort of study on this um you know, really see what the impact is but um, I agree with you i f- I feel like some in some areas i hunt i I see you know the coyote numbers not being quite what they used to be, and I think it it does have s- something to do with you know the amount of hunting that takes place year round um and things like that, but ultimately, at the end of the day. You know everybody's out there wanting to shoot coyotes, and and that's what you're doing. Um, you know, so I just don't really know, you know, what we can do about it. I, I you as a thermal hunter, if you're out there shooting coyotes in the summer, um, you know, you shouldn't be the one complaining that the coyote numbers aren't worth a damn come fall and winter, in my opinion, anyway. Um, but you know, I can see where maybe the the day hunters that don't that don't do th- thermal hunting in the summer months. You know, I can see them maybe complaining a little bit, especially out in some of this country. I'm assuming snapbacks and sagebrush is probably, you know, he mentioned Western. I'm assuming he's probably from, you know, out in that Nevada country, if I had to guess, um, where, you know, lots of public access, you know, and everybody's hunting a lot of public land. I mean, Nevada is some percent public ground. So there's no way to really, you know, contain or figure out really who's been out here all summer long, you know, hunting these coyotes. Um, but, uh, but Yeah. I think it, it's a very, it, it's an interesting question. I think it's a lot of theory based, but I think you, bottom line, you got to realize that we're only getting one crop of coyotes a year. W- whatever way you're killing them off, um, you know, is, is up to you, but you have to understand that, you know, you can't expect, you know, there be to be a bunch of new coyotes back in your spot um, when you do kill them off that effective. Now, you know, I mentioned this before, there was a, a study done quite a few years ago about, you know, coyote recruitment and things like that. And, and it's really, I guess you can call it the 70% rule. And really what that means is you have to kill off at least 70% of the coyotes in an area to see a, a, a decrease in the overall coyote numbers. Okay. Now us as coyote callers. Um, that's very hard to do, meaning killing off seven or eight of every 10 coyotes in an area. Um, you know, as, as a trapper, as a aerial gunning, you know, all those kind of things, you know, you could, you can get close to doing that and you can see decrease, you know, decrease in the numbers. And I think, you know, if you come in thermal hunting an area, pretty hard, um, getting some coyote shot, you know, I think you, you can come closer to that 70% rule than you ever can, you know, probably day hunting. Um, so then obviously if you're, if you're reaching that, you are going to see, you know, base that's science based that you're going to see a decrease in the numbers. So, um, yeah i don't know i guess i really don't know what to say as far as an answer for you other than i do i do agree with that to some extent um you know the popularity of thermal hunting isn't going away i see why you know it's great that you can get out there and do it whenever you want especially at night um it's easier in my opinion to kill coyotes you're going to have more action you're going to see more coyotes um you know so um you know guess you move to a state that uh, doesn't allow thermal hunting, I guess, (laughs) which is, there's probably far and free between at this point, but, uh, but no, good question. Something that uh, hopefully will will drum up some uh, discussion between you and your buddies and stuff. The next time you're out uh, calling coyotes. On to the next question. This one comes from fur junkie and it says, do you think contest hunting is a dying sport? And what do you think the number of teams, big contests going away is caused by? Cheating, lower populations, pressure, skill gap, or something else? Well, th- this is another good question that that brings up a pretty good discussion. Maybe one you've had even too with, uh, you know, especially if you're a contest hunter, especially a Western coyote contest hunter. Um, in my experience is, yes, the numbers do seem to be declining. And this is, I'm referring to Western coyote contest, you know you look at some of the bigger contests back, um, you know, like the worlds, the nationals, you know, the Midwest, those are really the big three out, you know, here, you know, the Midwest went away, you know, a handful of years ago. Um, the worlds has kind of changed and moved and done some things. The nationals actually went away for a year or two and it's, it's are kind of brought it back now trying to drum up interest, but it's just not there like it was before. Um, yeah, I think, I think several things, and at least in my opinion, I think I think six, seven years, six, maybe six, eight years ago, I think coyote contests were a huge fad, like everybody wanted to be part of a coyote contest, and you saw really good numbers. But then I think a lot of guys realized that, oh crap, you know, I, if I'm not gonna dedicate myself to this contest and get extremely serious, I really have no chance of winning this. Um, so I think, and to be honest with you, that's probably where a big percentage of coyote hunters are are in that category of you know, you just don't have the time to put into coyote hunting that some other guys do. And you might not have the land access that some other guys have. Um, and you just feel like you just are, have no chance of winning. So why would you spend money to get in a contest that you have no chance of winning? I think that's part of it. Um, I think fur prices, um, over the last three or four years have, have impacted that. Um, you know, fur prices two winters ago were the highest I've ever seen them in, in 20 years, especially out West here. So I think, I think there were guys that said, you know what, I have really have no chance of probably winning this contest, but I might kill four or five, six coyotes. Well, I got, I got an option. I can, I can spend a couple hundred bucks to enter this contest, go kill five or six coyotes. Most contests, you have to turn your coyotes into the contest. Um, You know, turn my coyotes in and not win a damn thing. Or I can just go save these properties, go hunt on myself, kill those same five or six coyotes and sell them and maybe make two or 300 bucks. And so I think that affected the number of teams, too, that that showed up was like, I'm just going to go kill these coyotes for fur money and, um, you know, not donate to to everybody else. Um, you know, those are probably to, in my opinion, those are probably the two two biggest things, you know, that that affects the coyote numbers. I think, you know, I think, you know, the anti is coming out, shutting down contests in Colorado, shutting down contests in New Mexico and Arizona Um, that affects it. I think guys are like, well, you know, they win, I guess, um, you know, maybe it's, it's okay. I think another part of it is that the hunting, you know, public in general, you know, don't care about coyote contests, you know, they're like, well, I don't, I'm not a coyote hunter. I'm not a, I don't hunt coyote contests. So I could care less if, if these contests go away. Um, I think that has to do some something with it. You know, when you look at the dynamics of a coyote contest, you know, let's say you have 30 teams in a coyote contest, you know, realistically, there's probably only 20% of those teams in a coyote contest that have a realistic chance of winning it based off of their experience, their skill level, the properties they have to hunt, the amount of coyotes that they're going to, you know, get in front of. Um, and really that other 80% you know, or, or what I like to call filler teams, those are the guys that, that for whatever reason might just be getting in it. Cause they, they want to get in a coyote contest. Or they want a reason to go hunt for the weekend. Um, and that's what makes big numbers of contests. When you see a contest of a hundred teams, it ain't a 100 badass coyote killing teams. You know, like I said, there might be 20 teams that have a legit chance, but you have a big chunk of what I call these filler teams. And that's really what, when you come to numbers, um, that's what you need. And that's what you're missing out on. So, um, you know, like I said, for whatever reason, those, those filler teams, you know, just aren't there, um, anymore. Now, I think a lot of, a lot of it too has to do with, you know, I will still come across some, some contests that'll have 40, 50 teams and they're what I call little local bar contests, you know, and usually the, the rules are a little, you know, less stringent. Um, the, the means in place to prevent cheating are, you know, pretty lax. And I think guys can get in those and, and get away with some things, you know, and maybe obviously, you know, cheating is unfortunately something that takes place in coyote contests. It takes place in fishing contests as we've seen recently. Um, it's there, um, anytime there's money involved, you can bet your ass that you know somebody's out there not doing it right, trying to trying to win some money any at any cost. Um, and so I think the more strict you get, and the more things are in place, I think you're going to get less teams, um, just because of the fact that guys, a lot of guys know that they can't compete doing it the right way. Um, that they they might have to bend the rules a little bit or whatever to to compete with that upper, you know, ten or twenty percent of guys that that really have it locked down. You know, so. Um, I think that has to do with something. Now, you know, a little bit b- between East and West here. I do see a decline in the Western Coyote contest, but what I see in these Midwestern and Eastern contests is like a, they're still getting quite a few teams. You know, you'll see some contests with two, three, four, five hundred 500 teams in some of these contests in the Midwest and East. And, you know, whether they're like maybe 10 years behind um, kind of our fad and our craze that was out West here, I don't know. It could just be because they have that, just the bigger populations of hunters, um, you know, the coyote populations in the Midwest and East are, have been growing now for, for years. Um, thermals, you know, becoming more popular, more guys have thermal. It seems like a lot of those Midwestern East contests are, you know, 24 hour, 48 hour all night, all day kind of contests. So, you know, that, that appeals to a lot of guys. Um, so hopefully, yeah, I mean, hopefully these Midwestern Eastern contests, you know, carry on and they continue to grow um i hope that they kind of maybe take some notes from some of these western contests that've been around a while as far as how to curb the cheating and things like that because there's really nothing that'll destroy a contest probably quicker than you know with teams cheating and consistently winning it and then everybody finding out that those teams were cheating and, and things like that that in my opinion that probably destroys a contest quicker than anything else um so so hopefully that'll that'll keep uh you know, pace with what, what needs to happen there. But, um, yeah, I ultimately at the end of the day, I hope contests don't go away. It's been a big part. I don't find myself hunting as many contests as I used to just because with my schedule with filming the last stand and, you know, coyote schools and all the other, you know, growing family and sports with the boys and things like that. Um, but you know, it's still something that I love to do. I love to go compete. Um, and hope, I I really hope that they're still around when my boys, you know, my boys are getting close to the age where they think they want to go out and try to do this on their own. But I really hope in the next 10 or 15 years that there are contests around here in the West that my boys can go compete in and, and really figure out, you know, how good they really had it every time they hunted with me, <laughs> you know um, you know, make them have to go out on their own and, and really try to figure some of this stuff out because uh, it's made me ultimately at the end of the day, it's made me a better coyote hunter hunting. You know, I base my, you know, everybody always asks me, do I hunt different you know, whether it's a coyote contest or a regulated. No, I don't, you know, I don't base, I don't do shorter stand times when I'm hunting in a contest. I don't do anything like that. You know, I hunt the same way. My ultimate goal, whether I'm hunting in a contest or just a fun hunt day is to kill as many coyotes as I possibly can at the end of the day. So I do everything right. Really the only difference for me is the amount of hustle I put in in between stands. Like how much hustle am I doing between getting from the stand back to the truck, getting to the next stand, getting into the next stand. Um, you know, I'm not standing around bullshitting, you know, eating a sandwich and, you know, that it's, you know, on a fun hunting day, we'll do that. But really, that's the only thing different I do. But it's taught me a lot, um, really, you know, previous questions as scouting, um, efficiency on stand, you know, really making sure we're getting coyotes killed. Every coyote we call in, we're getting a bullet in it. Um, so, yeah, I really hope they don't go away. If you haven't ever done a contest, um, you know, you might try one they're, they're pretty fun especially if you're a competitive kind of person and want to go compete and want to meet. And, and for me, coyote contest too, probably the best thing about coyote contest for me has always been the camaraderie um, meeting like-minded guys, um, you know, talking to guys going back after the contest, everybody's telling their stories of what happened all the, you know, somebody always used to have some crazy thing that happened to them. Coyote related or not coyote related. It seems like. Um, and then you just, you know, you go to these contests year after year and you see these guys and you develop a rapport with them. Um, to me that's something that's always been awesome and uh, you know for that reason alone I really hope coyote contests don't go away but uh, hopefully we'll see it's all up to us I guess if we just uh, if everybody stops going to coyote contests they'll go away but if people continue to go to them and and hunt them uh, they'll stay around so hopefully that's the case next question comes from Zanis Panos if I said that right Um, His question is this, what are some tips to get more land access out on the East coast? Well, like I mentioned earlier, land access is huge. Um, And it really depends on, you know, I talked about it probably in maybe an episode three or four of season one there. I talk about getting land access and really early on in the season, deciding, coming up with a plan on how much you plan to hunt. So, and what I mean by that is this, you know, let's just go off the months of October, November, December, January, February, five months there. You need to, you need to look at your calendar and say, okay, how many stands, and we're going to go off stands, not days of hunting, because I think a lot of guys might only go out for a few hours or in the morning and hunt um, a few hours. in the hour. I don't, I think very few guys go out all day like I do. Um, so let's base it off number of stands. So you need to look, look at your calendar and say, okay, how many realistically, if I look at my schedule, How many stands am I going to make a month through the months of October, November, December, January, February, right? The normal, you know, maybe in March, but how many stands a month? So you look at your calendar and say, you know what? I think I'm going to make 20 stands a month, you know, based off of just the time I'm going to have. Okay, 20 stands. So then at that point, you write 20, you get your piece of paper out and you write 20 stands over on the left. And then you start chalking up, You you maybe you pull up Onyx hunt app, you know, your maps, whatever. And you start thinking about how many stands do you have access to hunt? And you start adding those up and you come up with a number. Well, if that number is at least not doubled of the amount of stands you make to plan to make each month, you don't have near enough access. So if I'm planning on making 20 stands a month, I need at least 40 stands in my whole arsenal of, of hunting access pieces that I have to hunt. Now that's at the bare minimum because not every one of those stands is going to be good for North wind. Not every one of those stands is going to be good for South wind. Some are going to be good for North, some South, East, West, whatever it may be. All right. So that comes into play. Now that's a pretty simple equation that you can figure out. Okay. Do I have enough access or not? all right just take as many stands you're going to make a month and double it that's how many stands total i need and if you aren't i'm assuming if you've never thought of that and you're kind of new to coyote hunting your number's probably going to be way low like you don't have near enough because here's the problem if you don't have enough access you're going to end up going back to the same spot over and over and over and over and over again all right ultimately my goal is to maybe hit a spot three times a season once early once in the middle of the winter And then I try to go back there once late, you know, February, once the breeding season and things, you know, the dynamic of the coyote world changes a little bit. All right. If you're having to go back to that place every two weeks, all winter long, you know, essentially you're just hunting the same coyote over and over and over and over and over again. (laughs) You're going to get one crack of killing that coyote. And after that point, things become significantly difficult to try to kill that same coyote again. Um, But if you're able to give that coyote some time and, get away, you know, and go hunt other stuff and then come back a month, month and a half later. Well, now your chances of killing that coyote are a little bit better. Now, obviously there's a ton of variables in there. You know, who knows? Somebody else could have been in there hunting while you weren't Um, you, you name it. You know, they could add some pressure from deer hunters getting chased with dogs, pickups, you name it, you know, could influence that. Um, But that's just a more of a generic cookie cutter answer for you to kind of base how much access you need. Now, how do you line up more access? That's really what the question's about, right? Well, first off, Onyx Hunt is a huge asset. You know, if you take that, you're able to pull up the land at, landowner access. Um, I can see exactly what they have. It pulls up the satellite image. I can drop pins. I can do a lot of crazy good things. I use this um, as much as any tool I have for coyote hunting. Now, really at that point, you can start looking where you have access. You know, you all, ultimately, you already probably have a place that you go, all right? Whether it's public, whether it's private. I'm assuming if if this question's specifically East Coast, I would assume that most everything's private. I'm sure there are some public pieces as well. But you have to remember this the more the the less amount of public, the harder it gets hunted. You know, if you only have two or three little chunks of public in the whole county, that's probably where everybody's gonna go. But if half the county is public and half the county is private, you can probably find some pretty good public spaces to go just because it's not getting hammered as hard. Ultimately, your, your goal is to probably knock on doors and line up property. And it's just it's just a simp, it's as simple as that. Pulling into the farmyard, introducing yourself to the farmer or rancher, and ask them if you can call coyotes. Um, you know, not everybody's going to tell you yes. Not everybody's going to tell you no. You may find that somebody else is already hunting it. They may hunt it. Um, they may have it leased out for some other hunting. Um, you may get all kinds of answers, but you're not going to get an answer until you stop in and talk to them. And once you, once you get yourself in the door with one of those farmers or ranchers, now they all have neighbors. And so now you can start using that in, Hey, I'm hunting on so-and-so's over here. You know, mind if I, next time I'm over here hunting on, on farmer Joe's, can I hunt on your place? And they may say, yeah. And before you know it, you're building that, that database full of, of stands. So now where you might only have 20 stands, well, now you may have 40. Um, just after a a day of driving around knocking on some doors and uh, that's really what it takes you got to have tons of land access it's a it's an ongoing thing for me I've been hunting coyotes for years Um, you know access to hundreds of thousands of acres all over the place Um, but I'm always looking for new spots Um, I'm never afraid to, to ask somebody new and it may not be a great spot there may be 10 other guys that hunt it but you may stumble across the one spot that Hey, maybe nobody hunts. Maybe for whatever reason you caught that farmer on a great day and up until that point he told everybody no, but maybe he told you yes this day and uh, you know but yeah, that's what you got to do, Xanus, you got to get out, you got to knock on doors. Um, you got to explore new country, you got to develop those relationships with those ranchers and farmers. Um, you know you got to show them your success. I mean, a lot of times these ranchers and farmers think that they got a million coyotes on their property. so if you're showing them that hey, I'm getting a few killed off here and there, um, you know, they like to see that, um, you know, and then just, uh, to keep developing those relationships and, uh, building, building your, uh, your stand database to the point where, you know, the ultimate goal should be this, that you have enough stands that realistically, you only have to hunt one stand a year. Um, ultimately that's probably not the case. You'll probably go back. If, if it's a good stand, you're going to hunt it a few times, but that should be the ultimate goal to have enough places to hunt that if you didn't have to, you would only have to hunt them one time all season. Um, that's the ultimate goal there so hopefully that uh helped uh, point you in the right direction with uh, lining up more land access especially out on the east coast next question uh setup in regards to wind direction this comes from justin davis 11 um his question is this, setup in regards to wind direction amount of wind you'll hunt in etc um setup is important i mean to me your setup really dictates how many coyotes you're going to kill. You know, when you, when you're getting into an area, you're making that stand because you're assuming that there's a coyote there. So setting up, um, when that coyote that you're anticipating is going to come to the call, your setup has a lot to do with getting that coyote killed. A a terrible setup means the coyotes probably has the potential to show up in a, in a bad spot, meaning where it's just hard to get that coyote killed. Um, you know, and wind has a lot to do with that. So, Really what I talked to, you know, probably the easiest way to explain it, you know, with just words, since I can't, I don't really have any way to draw a diagram for you on this podcast. But so as you're walking into a stand, picture you have 360 degrees of area around you, right? At all times, you have 360 degrees of area around you. So certain pieces of that 360 are gone. You know, let's just assume that these are pieces of the pie, right, are gone because so... As I'm walking into my stand, there's a piece of the pie behind me gone because I just walked through there. Meaning if there was a coyote in there, I bumped him out. He's gone, right? There's a certain piece of that pie that is gone because I just drove in there and I parked the truck. And if any coyote comes from right there, he's going to see the truck or he he saw the truck when we're driving in. So that piece of the pie is gone. Okay. Um, There might be an, even another piece of the pie that's gone because it just has visibility of the truck. If they come from that piece of the pie, maybe. just couldn't get the vehicle hid um you know quite like you wanted to or whatnot but the ultimate goal is when you get to the get to the point where you're gonna make the stand I still want 180 degrees of that pie untouched meaning I haven't drove through it I haven't walked through it and the wind my wind is not blowing into any part of that pie. Okay so when I set up on a on a stand I want the wind You know, you might have heard of this. I want the wind in my face, you know, or I want a crosswind, whatever it is. So picture that if I have that 180 degrees of pie in front of me, I want that wind either directly left or right at a 90 degree angle or any variation in that 180 blowing back towards me. If the winds at any of those directions, when I'm on stand, the wind's good. That means that that 180 is basically untouched, that if a coyote comes from out there, we should get that coyote right where we want. Um you know, in order to get that coyote killed. Now, you know, wind direction, you know, if if I could pick every stand, I would go with a crosswind. And and the reason for this is that that I can see exactly where the downwind is at on a crosswind stand. Um, ultimately, that's what the coyote wants to get to if, if you're dealing with maybe pressured coyotes, coyotes that are a little unsure, maybe just little wussy coyotes that, you know, don't want to come to the call real great, you know, the The fastest way for them to figure out exactly what it is that's making that noise is to use their nose and cut downwind, and that's why they do it. The, the problem with a wind directly in your face, a lot of times you may be sitting on some cover, you may be sitting on a side hill, and the wind is actually blowing back behind that cover, and you can't see the downwind. But you can't always pick. Obviously, your access into a, a stand is going to dictate that. Um, how far you want to walk into a stand is going to dictate that. But, you know, personally, if I can have a crosswind, great. If not, no big deal. As long as that wind is blowing in my face at some angle of that 180 degrees. Now, the amount of wind, um, on the previous question, you know, a couple of questions ago, we talked about contest hunting and just doing what I do in general with schools and guided hunts and things like that. I hunt and film in the show, even we're picking days months ahead of time that we we're hunting. So we're hunting those days, regardless of what the weather's doing. So, you know, over the last 10 or 15 years of doing that, it's forced me to hunt in lots of wind, more wind than most guys. You know, if you can pick and choose the days you go hunting, you know, if it says it's going to be blowing 15, 20 tomorrow and five to 10 the next day, and you have an option to hunt either day, you're probably going to wait and go hunt when it's five to 10 wind instead of tomorrow. Um, you know, when it's going to blow 15 to 20. And so I think a lot of guys don't understand how to really hunt in the wind. Um, but luckily for me, I've been forced to hunt in the wind a lot. And, you know, it, it teaches you really how to kill coyotes in the wind. Now, one thing you have to realize is the greater the wind speed, just your probability of killing coyotes is going to go down. Is it, is it zero? No. You know, just because the wind speed picks up to 20, 30 mile an hour, the, the coyotes aren't some mythical creature that just disappears. They're still out there. You just got to understand where they're going to be. And that I got to get in as close as possible to kill these coyotes, meaning they're not going to come running from a half mile, probably like they do on maybe less wind conditions, just because they're naturally just hunkered down because of the weather conditions, the wind, um, your sound or your calls, just not going to travel as far into the wind. So they're not even going to hear it that far most of the time. So, um, you know, that's, that's probably the two main things you have to understand. And it's just a matter of grinding out stands, meaning, Um, you know, I'm not going to sit on stands for 15 minutes. If the coyotes are only going to, they're only going to come from two, three, 400 yards, 500 yards tops in a wind like that. If they are coming from that distance, it's not going to take them just a few minutes to get there. So sitting there for 15, 20 minutes is, is wasting a lot of time in my opinion. So that's when I'm going to cut those stand times down to maybe six, eight minutes roll through, you know, maybe two different sounds, probably sounds with max volume. A lot of times when I'm hunting in a lot of wind, I find myself using, uh, you know, TNT cottontail and schoolyard brawl really just because I think those are just two of the loudest sounds, you know, every sounds recorded a little bit different. And even on max volume of 32 on a lucky duck call, um, every sounds just a little bit different. And I think those are a couple of the loudest ones that are going to carry the farthest in that wind. So, um, you know, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to pick apart drainages and cover, You know, I think a lot of guys can relate to, to deer hunting, you know, and, and bedding areas, you know, deer go from feed grounds to bedding areas and coyotes are the same. They, they have bedding areas where they're going to be laid up out of the wind and, you know, being able to recognize those and where those areas are on your properties that you're hunting is huge and get down in there. A lot of times, you know, those are more shotgun conducive stands because you're getting right down in there. The closer you can get to those coyotes, not making them have to come out across the open you know, in a 20, 30 mile an hour wind, the better off you're going to be to kill those coyotes. So, um, I'm not afraid of hunting some wind, you know, if I can pick and choose ultimately, you know, dead calm is the worst for me. I'd rather hunt in a 30 mile an hour wind than dead calm. It just seems like coyotes act a little weird on a dead calm wind for me. I think they, they know that they're, uh, they're not at the advantage when it's a dead calm wind. You know, I think their senses, it's almost like they get sensory overload. They can hear everything, especially if you're in a more populated area and cars and things they can hear, you know, the farmer four miles away, pounding on a piece of machinery and every car driving down every dirt road. I think it just, it wigs them out. That's just the nature of a coyote. They're just, they just freaky little animals and, and they freak out. I think if you get a little bit of a wind, maybe a eight, 10 mile an hour wind, which is ideal for me. Um, I think it dulls things down a little bit and I think they're, they're more conducive to come to the call. So, um, biggest thing is challenge yourself. I think, you know, um, you know, go hunt some wind, try some different techniques, um and if it's not working try something different you know work in there get in there a little tighter and and see what you can do so on to the last question here um it's kind of a fun one i kind of left this one for last this one comes from dingus hunting he says i know practice 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 makes perfect when it comes to hitting running coyote shots which you're the master at but how in the world do you practice running shots for the spooked coyote well dingus you know there's there's really no way to practice shooting running coyotes other than just to shoot at running coyotes, (laughs) you know, and that's for me, you know, that's, um, first off, I love nothing more than rolling up a running coyote. To me, it's kind of like the coyote. I always just picture that coyote running off being like, yeah, right. You didn't fool me. And then all of a sudden, bam, you know, just as he thinks he's getting away, you know, um, and watching a coyote cartwheel on the dead run is, is, is pretty fun, pretty fun to me. Um, but for me, it's just, it's just been years and years of practice shooting at running coyotes. Um, you know, in Nebraska, you know, we can shoot out of a vehicle as long as you're not on a public road and the vehicle's not moving. So, you know, hunting these big ranches over the years, you're, you're doing a lot of off-roading, like you're not on a road, you're not even on a two track, you're just kind of driving from stand to stand. And ultimately, you're going to bump coyotes, meaning, you know, you're driving to where you want to get to the next stand. Oh, there's a coyote jumped. you know, coyotes running out there two, 300 yards. And, you know, we throw the gun out the window and, and you take some shots at him. So doing that over the course of 20 years, you get, you get pretty good, you know, at figuring out leads and, and things like that. Now um, on my Instagram page a, a month back or so, and you can still see it on there. Um, I, I put out a chart that shows leads of running cotton. this is just in that charts, not me just Guessing this is this is based off of math, um, and and I have a chart there based off a three thousand feet per second rifle and a four thousand feet per second rifle, and what your leads are based on a coyote running ten mile an hour, twenty mile an hour, thirty mile an hour, forty mile an hour. Now coyotes reach speeds up to I think forty three miles an hour. So you know you shoot a few times at a coyote and he is hauling ass. You know I anticipate he's up there somewhere about that forty mile an hour range. Um, you know a trotting coyote you know somewhere around the ten you know and and everywhere in between. So if you want an idea, if you really have no clue on how far to lead a running coyote, that'll give you a great uh, starting point. Um, but then at that point, you know, it's really just, you know, doing it a lot. You don't, when when it comes time to shooting running coyotes, you don't have a lot of time to really calculate in your head. It's, it's more of an instinctual thing. Like, okay, I got to get that out in front of them. And the cool part about running coyotes are it's, it's usually a three-dimensional shot. Very rarely are you on a flat surface and the coyotes just going left or right, quartering broadside. A lot of times out in this country, there's some sort of train. So the coyote may actually be running up a hill and to the left quartering away. So not only do you have to lead him to the left, you have to get the get the crossers up above him as well because he is angling up that side hill. So that adds another dimension to running shots um, as well. But you know, you look at that chart, there's some crazy, you know, less, you know, there's some of those leads are 15, 20. 20 feet lead on a running coyote. Um, I think a lot of people underestimate that and they don't lead coyotes far enough. You know, even a, you picture a a coyote running full speed broadside at a hundred yards. That's a four or five foot lead, you know, which is a coyote. You know, I picture a coyote running is about three, maybe from nose to tip of tail. You might be looking at three to three and a half feet of coyote. So when you talk about getting a five-foot lead on a coyote, you're an entire coyote length ahead of that coyote. I think a lot of guys at that distance probably put the put the crosshairs right in the front of the coyote, and then obviously you're shooting behind that coyote. And, you know, when things are going that fast, it's hard to really tell exactly where that bullet's hitting, you know. If you're seeing dust come up, um, you know, to really make a quick adjustment on that. So um, if you're struggling shooting running coyotes, um, you know, try getting it out there you know, a little further on them, you know, as far as practice techniques, um, I don't know, you know, Rick was telling me a story. I think it was on the last podcast even, but maybe it was while we were hunting. I can't remember, but how his dad used to put a, had an old tire and he, he cut a piece of plywood and put it in the inside of the tire. And then he would roll the tire down this hill and they would practice shooting at this tire as it was rolling down the hill, like a hundred yards away, trying to hit that center piece of uh, wood in the tire. You know, which which is pretty wild to me. Um, you know, I think you could uh, you know, whether you blew up some balloons and let them blow in the wind out across the pasture, if they they probably would pop, honestly. That might be tough. Um yeah, unfortunately, there's really probably no way to practice a 30 mile an hour running shot anywhere other than just getting out and doing it, you know. So um hopefully this year on the last stand, we'll get to we already got some running shots um already that you guys will see when when the last stand premieres here coming up soon um season five. But uh um I know everybody loves watching those running shots. I love watching them too. Um something something that's uh near and dear to me. So um get out there, I guess spook a lot of coyotes off, I guess, you know, is all I can tell you. And start shooting at them and and hopefully you start getting them getting them running and and uh you know and eventually down the road those percentages will go up and, and you'll kill more running coyotes. Well, guys, that, uh, that does it. Um, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, answering these questions. Um, I'm, I'm going to do this again. So, you know, if you're not, if you're not following me on Instagram do, um, and then maybe you have some questions. Like I said, thanks for everybody that submitted questions. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get to every one. Um, but we'll do this again. And, uh, I think we can, I can really talk about a lot of, you know, pieces of coyote hunting that I, maybe I not, might not touch on, you know, on other podcasts that really can help you guys out. And hopefully it will, we'll get you, you know, more coyotes in the back of the truck. But, uh, um, and as always, you know, I appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. You know, you guys have made this the number one predator hunting podcast out there just from your support. Um, if you're, especially if you're listening on Spotify, you know, giving me a five-star review on this sucker goes a long way, you know, for the sponsorships and, and, uh, keeping this thing going. So, you know, we greatly appreciate that. If you're listening to this, um, you know, if you're looking to get, you know, find more information about myself, whether you're wanting to find, you know, the last stand of uh, videos, season five's coming out soon. Um, probably by the time you're listening to this, it'll, it'll probably be out. You can find that on the lucky duck YouTube channel. Um, we're going to be dropping content all season long. We're going to do things a little bit different. If you're a follower of the last stand in the past, you know, we've, we have went through and we've put out 10 episodes a year. Those episodes would be, you know, 20, 30 minute episodes every couple weeks, well, what we're going to do now to kind of help, um, go with the flow a little bit more with the whole YouTube machine is we're going to cut those episodes down to shorter, shorter links, maybe six, eight, 10 minute time slots. And then that'll give us more episodes than just 10, you know, we may be looking at 20 or 30 episodes. So we're going to be able to, to release episodes every, you know, four, five, six days, um, instead of every two weeks. So, um, hopefully everybody loves that. You're going to get more coyote content more frequently and, uh, that'll go. But like I said, season five will be coming out soon, but if you want links to that, uh, you want links to my Instagram page, um, you know, the, you want links to, you know, coyote schools or anything I do um, you can go to my website, which is coyote craze.com and you can find, find all the links there. But uh, once again, appreciate you guys. I'm excited to get season two of uh, Eastman's predator pros going and it, uh, it all starts with you guys listening and, and, you know, giving me great feedback that you always have. So, um, before I cut off, want to want to thank all the sponsors that make this possible. Lucky Duck Predator Calls, Swagger Bipods, Hornady, Onyx Hunt, Cryptek, Sig Sour Optics, and Black Rifle Coffee Company. Once again, you know I couldn't do it with these guys. Um, for them to support a predator hunting podcast or anything predator hunting related says a lot about these guys. Um, like I've always said, predator hunting is kind of on the tip of the spear. And a lot of companies don't want to put their name on something that's that that's that's this controversial, especially with the anti-hunting movement and things like that. These guys don't care. You know, they love what we do. Um, uh, they want to support that. So, you know, hopefully you'll get a chance to, to return the favor and, and support these guys um, if you're looking for any any products in the categories that they they support. And then also, as always, I need to thank Eastman's for putting this all together uh, for me and, and bringing it to you guys. Um, you know, they do a lot of great things on their website, their new tag hub, um deal they got going on it's pretty phenomenal i'm not a big game hunter but uh from everything that everybody tells me it's it's the best thing out there you know and whether you're looking at their magazines or whatnot um just great content there so go over to eastmans.com and check out everything they have to do but until next time appreciate you guys listening we'll catch you right here next time on the eastman's predator pros podcast